0: shalom brothers and sisters wow what an honor it is for me to be here with you uh, my name is Petey, and uh today we are standing at a peculiar time on the calendar the 22nd of december and everyone knows what that means it's almost christmas and i don't know what to say except Isn't this a controversial season? And that's why tonight we want to talk about this feast called Christmas that is celebrated all over the world. We're going to think about what does Yeshua? What does Jesus perceive this feast as? How are we as his disciples to act in this season? How are we to be a witness in this season? And what is our focus supposed to be in this season? I think these are very important questions. I think that there has been so much debate, so much discussion around whether Christmas is pagan, its origins, uh, what are we supposed to do? And sometimes I think, in the midst of talking about what it is not, we miss about uh, what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be living in this season. Now, let me just begin by saying that wherever you stand on this issue, whatever side of the fence you are, this is a video, this is a teaching, this is a discussion that I'm having with you all live here tonight. That is a discussion that has to be centered on love, because there are many people who love Yeshua, who celebrate Christmas. There are many people who look at Christmas and think about Christmas as a feast that is about celebrating his birthday, about celebrating the birth of Christ. And here's one thing that we can all agree on. And that is that celebrating Yeshua is always a good idea, whether it's on the first of this day or month or this day or month. It doesn't matter every day our life is supposed to be worship unto him. Now. The question is, though, is since this feast has become so emotionally charged because many of us are sentimental towards it, or many of us have a big distaste towards it. The question is, is what do we base our judgment finally on? And of course, it is not to be based off tradition. It is not to be based off what uh, we feel, our emotions. It is based on what scripture teaches. And tonight, that's what we're going to be looking at, what scripture teaches. Since Christmas is the central feast in Christian celebration, I mean, if you look at the Christian feast calendar, Christmas is probably on most in most denominations, at least number one right there, because they want to think about this feast as celebrating God and so It points to this ingrained desire that each believer has to want to celebrate Christ. And I think that that desire to celebrate Christ is certainly been placed there by the Holy Spirit, the desire to have a feast unto the Lord. Because remember, from the beginning, when God called Moses and Israel out of Egypt, it was to do what? to have a feast unto the Lord in the wilderness. That was why Pharaoh had to let them go so they can do that. So that is one of the first things that the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts when we come out of Egypt, that is to keep a feast unto the Lord. But the question is, is what feast? What festivals have God called us to keep? Because even though we all have a godly desire to keep a feast, it really is going to be dependent on what that is, because God is particular. He is very specific about the ways he desires to be worshipped. And Israel, they learned that lesson very quickly when they entered the wilderness, because one of the first thing that they wanted to do is they wanted to build a golden calf. Call it Yahweh, let this be a feast to the Lord that brought us out of Egypt, that split the sea for us, that did the wonders against Pharaoh. Let this be a feast unto the Lord, Aaron declares, because their perspective was that this is how you do a feast to God. And their perspective was influenced by the ways of Egypt, the ways of the world, the ways that the world does things is now how we're going to approach God. But we all know how that ended didn't end well so even if our hearts are to worship him we must be sure we're doing it in the ways that he has called us to do and i i guess the other thing is what we've done is we have then gone to many believers who celebrate christmas right and we've told them this is pagan you know you you you, you may share information you may share this or that and from their perspective, you need to look at it from their perspective. From their perspective, it may be that you're it seems to them that you're telling them that they can't celebrate Jesus, that you're telling them, don't do that, because that's what how they perceive the feast as being. And and and, and, their, and the question for them would be, well, well, uh, what do you mean it's pagan? Is it pagan to celebrate Jesus? See, I'm saying all of this because it's so important for us to make what we are communicating to people so clear. And and I think that this debate about paganism has sometimes been a debate that's all about pointing out what is pagan, but we don't actually think about how we're approaching this subject. And. Since this debate, of is Christmas pagan is one that I think we can all agree will never be completely settled because whether no matter what denomination or movement we're talking about, there are there is disagreements, there is debates, even in academia about the origins of Christmas. Now, right where you want to stand on that is one thing. But what I want to ask you is what is the m- most important conversation that we can have about this feast of Christmas, and I think that it is actually not to simply point out paganism, but another issue that has crept in that I think is perhaps arguably even a bigger distraction. And and that is that simply at what cost has Christmas been celebrated. Because, like I said, we have a hole in our heart to celebrate a feast. And so we see Christmas and we feel better because we do Christmas and that's the feast we do. It's kind of like when you have a child and he's hungry and you give him candy. And then you figure out what's probably not a good idea to give him candy. So you take away the candy. Don't do that. Paganism. Right. But then we don't give them something else. You you can't take candy away from a hungry child, but not give him real food. And that's what has happened is, is that Christianity has become drunk on candy and And it's all because they don't actually know, have the knowledge of what the real food that is good for their souls is. The real feast that is the authentic that actually would satisfy their heart's desire to celebrate Jesus. They don't know what that is. And I actually think that if you communicate the biblical authentic feasts, there's no more room for the counterfeit. Let me say that again. If people have their their hearts full of the seven biblical, authentic feasts of God, then there is no more room for a counterfeit. Because let me tell you, if you're so preoccupied with these seven feasts that are all about Jesus, and we're going to talk about that soon. Man, there's no time for Christmas (laughs) because we're getting ready for the next biblical feast which is so good and so much more meaningful because it's biblical and it's fulfilled in such a more meaningful way in the life by the life of Yeshua. Oh, man. So what if I told you fellow brothers and sisters Christians that there is something that mainstream Christianity has been missing out on in on a grand scale, something that they will be all doing. If for those of us who are who have salvation granted to us standing before the Messiah being becoming face to face with him, we will all celebrate the biblical feasts that kingdom to come. And the question that I'm going to ask you in the beginning of this teaching and at the end is, will we celebrate Christmas when we are face to face with Yeshua? We're going to probably answer that by the end of this. Now, I want to read to you what Yeshua wrote regarding commandments of men. I want to submit to you that Christmas has become something that is like a commandment of men. And the reason I say that is when you walk into any mainstream Christian church, forgive my generalization, but for the most part, at least if you were to mention that you don't celebrate Christmas, people will be absolutely shocked. Because it's like, it's almost like breaking God's law. It's almost like, well, what do you mean you don't celebrate Christmas? And I want us to think about why that really is. Why is there such an expectation that if you're a Christian, that you're going to celebrate Christmas? Because look at what Yeshua says, right? I want to read to you here in Mark chapter seven, verse six. And we read, he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? It's written these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Now, you know, what's it's really interesting because there is a big tradition that we're talking about here tonight that have been established in Christianity, that tradition of celebrating Christmas. And I call it the tradition because, well, I guess we can just make that clear right now is it's not in the Bible. Right. And this is there's no debate around that. It is a church tradition and all church denominations will share this with you. But what is this commandment of God that we have left? Because ultimately, when we look at in Mark seven, verse eight, right? He says you leave the commandment of God. Well, God has come to Israel, to his people. And if you believe in Yeshua, you're grafted into Israel, according to Paul himself. And he came and he told them. You, I am giving my feasts and by the way, they're not Jewish. Remember, God said these are my feasts. Never were they called Jewish. They were given to Israel and they were given to a mixed multitude of people who wanted to follow God at the base of the mountain. So these feasts were not just for the Jews. In fact, there were way more people than just Jews at the base of the mountain when they were hearing the feast being given to them. And when you start learning about how meaningful they are, you start realizing. Now, I want to I want to ask, because look, we 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 assume that Jesus's birth is the most important feast that a Christian can keep. And surely, surely, listen to me carefully. Surely, surely to celebrate Jesus, like I said in the beginning, is always amazing, important and worthy. But his birthday being celebrated as the most important is something that was not commanded, but his death, burial and resurrection was commanded to be celebrated and not just commanded, but celebrated by the early church's disciples and so forth. But why? You see, we see it it all starts with God in the wilderness, right? They keep Passover and they have the feast of unleavened bread as they come out of Egypt. They have all Shavuot, right? They have the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, right? They have the Feast of Sukkot, all of these feasts. And then when Yeshua comes along in his life, just hits those dates in incredible ways. And the New Testament takes time and detail to make it very clear that he is fulfilling these biblical feasts to reinforce how applicable these feasts still are for, if you want to call us New Testament believers, believers in Yeshua, in this period where we have now received the writings of the New Testament authors. And we see now Yeshua is the Passover lamb who dies on Passover, is put in the grave on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, who is raised at the Feast of fruits, And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Feast of Shavuot, also known as Pentecost. And then we see that first coming of Christ fulfilling those feasts. But it doesn't stop there because there's more his second coming that which we are all looking forward to, the Feast of Trumpets, where in Revelation it's written in the New Testament. The writer John is writing about how he will come as the in, as with the blowing of trumpets, also written in Thessalonians with the blowing of trumpets, he will return and in the day of atonement he will judge, right? And then we have the Feast of Sukkot, the marriage supper of the lamb, where we will he will gather his bride and have the wedding feast that he's always been talking about in his earthly ministry when he was here, all these wedding guests and all these connections to a wedding because he is here to gather his bride. Right. So we see that these feasts were fulfilled. His life was fulfilling these feasts, and, and there are still some of them that are left to be fulfilled. And so when God wants us to have a feast to him to celebrate his life, it's all biblically surrounding his death burial resurrection and outpouring of the holy spirit and coming and judgment and wedding right? these are the things that god wants his people to focus on now I, you know what i think a good uh, you know um question or, or 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 thing that's just worth addressing here is that well isn't Jesus' birth also celebrated in these in one of these feasts? Now, here's here's the thing with that, right, is we see that some believe, as you all know, that December is the, the month to celebrate his birthday. There are other brothers and sisters who I dearly love, who believe it's supposed to be at uh, the feast of Sukkot. And there are others who believe it's at Passover that he was bo- he was born. Right. But I guess the point that we can gather from all of this, these different opinions, which I think it's cool, it's amazing discussion. But there's certainly not the same level of clarity that's been given by the scriptures towards towards his date of when he was born. In comparison to the dates as to his death, burial, resurrection, which we see is to the day. Fulfilled in his life. And another question I think we should address as well regarding his birth is. But I mean, didn't the uh, wise men makes a massive deal about his birth? And, and now here's the thing. Please understand. I'm, I'm about to say something here to explain that. But I'm not saying that to speak down because I've said twice and I will say a third time that it's always He's always worthy to be celebrated. And even cons- considering his birth, even considering um, the fact that God uh, at his birth gave us him uh, b- 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 boring, um, having him being born into the world. Right. That is amazing. So please understand my position is not to to speak down on any of that. But please, on the other end, understand that Um, a lot of that I stand for truth, right? And truth is what we must pursue. And the Christian narrative has often been in order to reinforce the validity of Christmas, 25 December as his birth date and 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 to elevate his birthday as the only real feast worth being concerned about. They have gone to state that things like that the wise men came to celebrate his birth. And the wise men came to give him give him birthday presents. And and that that's really why they were there. But biblically speaking, that's just not true. And it's pretty simple to understand why that is. And you have to understand a little bit about the commandments, as we all should. You can see in the book of Leviticus, we know that when there is a baby born, this baby, Ha, uh, is, uh taken to the temple to be dedicated and an offering is made. Now, Yeshua's parents followed the Bible's commandment to do that. And when and we read about this in uh, Leviticus 12 verse two, I'm going to uh, just pull up this command for you all so we can just get a grasp of it here for a moment and. We read in Leviticus 12 verse 2: speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean and on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin will be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty three days and the blood of her purifying, she shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying or completed. All right. So we see that there is a total of about these 33 days plus the uh, 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 seven days over here. So we see that there is about a 40 day wait before they can go to the temple to dedicate the baby to the Lord and make this offering. And we know, according to what is written in the book of Luke, Uh, We see in Luke two, verse 24, that they made an offering and the offering that Yeshua's parents made was an offering that was made was for people who were poor, who didn't have a lot of money, because if you had the ability, you can make an offering for a, a lamb and a bird. Right. But if you were poor and you couldn't afford a a firstborn, for a lamb of a first year, then what you can do instead is you can take two turtle doves or two pigeons. And we know that Yeshua's parents took the two pigeons, so they did not have a lot of money. What does this tell us that the wise men had not arrived yet because the wise men brought valuable gifts? for King Jesus, for King Yeshua. And so we know that the wise men, there's debate on how long they waited before they met Yeshua, but we know it was at least 40 days after his birth. So them arriving there, it wasn't to 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 give him a happy birth uh, as, as amazing as that could have been. Right. And it wasn't to give him birthday presents. It was to come and bring gifts, because that's what you do when you approach a king, that's ancient custom right there. And it's even custom in for many uh, in many kingdoms today, right? If you if you're going to visit a president, you will probably want to take a gift. And so that's why they were bringing all of these amazing, majestic gifts to him. Now, um, I'm saying all of this because the Bible is illuminating priority for us on biblical feast days and Christmas and the celebration of birthdays. It is a more recent phenomena in the ways that it's been done today. We we it, it, it receives a lot of priority in the lives of our in, in our world. We think about birthdays as a big deal and, and that's fine. But understand that there's a reason that you don't read it about birthdays in the Bible often because it wasn't as big of a deal. And the reason is, is because God sees it differently than we do. I want to share with you that. uh, When we look at the book of Joel uh, of Ecclesiastes, for example, in chapter seven, we read about how God perceives. This. and we, we can probably get a hint as to why God chose to give so much detail and emphasis on the death, burial and resurrection and less so on the birth. And we read about this in Ecclesiastes seven. Let's open that up here. OK, and we read a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning and to to, how, to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Okay, now this is a this is a very interesting word here, and what does it mean? Why is it that the day of death is better than the day of birth? I mean, that doesn't sound make to make any sense to our ears, but he explains. The living will lay it to heart. Because ultimately, and you can just think about this. Uh, I, I remember I was at a funeral once. Um, after a child passed away, it was a terrible situation, a car accident. And it was a daughter and there was the dad, there was the mom, there was a the sister, the whole family was there. And I was just there to, to help be there to help comfort them. And I remember that the father who previously his heart was kind of far from God, right? He wasn't devoted. He his heart was pierced, opened up, and the sister got baptized. The father wanted to give his life to God, and it was all because their daughter passed away. See, and that's why he's saying that the living lays it to heart when there is death, when there is mourning. And when you think about Yeshua's death. It is a a thing of mourning. Uh, This the fact that he had to go through that, that he had to be pierced, that he had to bleed through his skin, that he had to have all of the sins of the world placed on his shoulders. It's a thing of mourning because it's my fault. It's your fault. It's our fault. We put him on the cross. We deserve that. But he who is without sin, who never deserved anything, he received it in our place. That is an idea that provokes us to mourning and pierces our hearts to repentance in the same manner. And and the other hand of it all, it's a thing of joy because it's it's mourning on this end that he died. But it's joy because he was resurrected and he resurrected. And that means that we will resurrect. It means that we will live. It means that God redeemed us. right? So this is meaningful. This is this is the gospel message itself. And that is why God gave feasts to come that all are about communicating the the fullness of his purpose, the gospel message itself, his death, burial, resurrection, and the fact that he's coming back imminently. And when we think about his birth, as amazing as it is, I remember I was listening to a radio program, just a Christian radio station the other day, and they were talking about Christmas and they were saying that that Christmas celebrates Yeshua's potential. Okay, that they were saying that his birth, when we celebrate his birth, we're celebrating his potential, what he was going to do when he, you know, 30 ish years later. And that is what it is. And that's wonderful, but it's not the actual thing that he accomplished. It's the potential of what he was going to do. Now, why? Here's the question. Why do we devote? Uh, why do we view let me say, why do we view Christmas right as the feast that celebrates his potential while we have thrown away? Let me say this again. We have thrown away the feasts that celebrate the gospel and what he actually did because see his birth points to his purpose, his death, burial and most importantly, his resurrection. So. My point in saying all of this is simply to ask, how can we take a tradition that God has not given us? And and use, and celebrate that and use that as worship to God. And then we make this a commandment of man. And then we do that at the expense of God's commandments, God's commandments. That have called us to have a feast unto him, at the feast of Passover, at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of first fruits, at the feast of Shavuot, glory to God for his Holy Spirit, at the feast of trumpets, because glory to God he's coming back. The feast at the Day of Atonement to fast and afflict our souls. (laughs) Or at the feast of Sukkot, looking forward to his wedding date. How can we have missed these completely? But we want to have Father Christmas come and we want to sell, set up our Christmas tree and we want to we'll have all the gifts and the materialism that the world participates and we want to participate in. And Jesus becomes the footnote in many houses. Even on Christmas, he becomes the excuse. To do something like that, to celebrate this in some houses, at least. But the reason that these things have crept in is because this feast is ultimately counterfeit. It's ultimately not the real thing, because what is real is what is biblical and what you can find in the Bible. That is what is real. That is what is precious. That is what is most important. So I am not against celebrating his birth, but I am against celebrating Christmas at the cost of his biblical feasts. I am against. Incorporating things like Santa Claus and lying about to it about our children, about about who Santa Claus is. And and I'm against materialisms. I am against things that ought not to be in our lives as believers. What I think God desires us to do is return to come out of the world, come out of Egypt, come out of the practices of Egypt and look to the purity of what he has called us to. That is why the Bible puts much more emphasis upon these things that are pointing to his salvational work. So here's my question, just to if if you're, you know, uh, look, brothers, sisters, wherever you sit on this, I I love you. And and it's not this is not something that I would ever make enemies over. So please don't make an enemy of me about that. But I I want to ask you this question. If we are going to be face to face with Yeshua and we will be soon. When you stand before him, he is your king. You're in the new kingdom. Will you be suiting up like Santa Claus? Will you be setting up a Christmas tree for the on the 25th of December? Will you be doing any of those things? Will we be celebrating Christmas, in fact, to any degree? Will we on 25 December be having a feast to the Lord specifically? Or. Will we have the biblical feasts? The answer to that has been given to us, and I want to read it to you. The prophecy in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verse four, about the future that of that new kingdom that he is going to be ruling over our Messiah, who is coming soon. We read, and I'm just going to read a few verses so you can understand the context. So you can know where and on the timeline of history we are, or let me say the timeline of the future. We read on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So the one half of the mountain shall move northward, the other southward. Let's first just make an observation here. The Mount of Olives have never been split in two yet, and his feet. It's not stood on the Mount of Olives yet, because it's talking about when his feet will rest on the Mount of Olives again, and that is when he's coming back. Let's look further, and let's get more hints about when this is. We read in verse five, you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to the Azal, And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Azusa, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Okay, I want to read from verse seven here. And there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening there shall be light. Is there been a time where at evening there is light? There's light in the day. There's light at at the at the night. No, but that's going to happen when the Lord comes, and He is the light, and there is no need for a sun anymore. It says, "goes We go read further. On that day, living waters will flow out Jerusalem. Half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the west. It shall continue in the summer as in the winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth." Okay, so I think we can establish based off this context. We're talking about a time and the future that's coming, a time I'm looking forward to. But now let's look at what further is going to happen there. I'm going to go on to verse 16 here. I encourage you to read this whole chapter in your own time. but I want to just read this here in verse 16. Everyone who survives of all the nation that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So God is speaking about a time coming where he's going to be king. And every year the Feast of Booths will be kept. What is the Feast of Booths? It's the feast where you make booths. It's the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the biblical feasts the most important, arguably, of the biblical feasts, where it's about his marriage supper of the lamb, his reuniting with his bride. That's what that feast is about. That's beautiful. And that's what I look forward to is being face to face with him, being in his presence, being in his kingdom and come and then celebrating this feast in his presence with him. Go find a scripture like this one where it's mentioning that they will go up year to year to Jerusalem to celebrate Christmas. I, I just want to stand for truth here, brothers and sisters. You won't find that in your Bible. So why have we elevated that and we have thrown away this? It's a question we have to ponder. And I think that this is the question. The reason I'm sharing all this is because this is how we should be approaching our brothers and sisters who celebrate Christmas, because now we are pointing them into the authentic. We're not just telling them stop doing that, stop doing that. We're actually pointing them to something that's real, tangible and biblical. That is true. The thing that their soul yearns for the thing that they actually want to do. And they're going to be like, wow, I want to do this. And and then there's no more room for anything that's counterfeit anymore. And I want to then talk to the other side for just a moment here as we end off. Hey, I want to just say thank you so much for joining me live here. And I'm going to go to the chat here in a moment and read some of your comments. Um, So please stay tuned for that. I just want to end this off with a thought here. On the other side of this coin, because I love to to look at that, too. If we're celebrating the biblical feasts, as some of you who are listening to this do, do not celebrate. Do not celebrate them and then forsake Yeshua. And what I mean by that is, do not celebrate the feasts where Yeshua just becomes a footnote. Do not celebrate the feasts, and and the gospel, and and the fact that they are all pointing to Yeshua, becomes unimportant. See. If these feasts are not celebrated in light of how they point to Yeshua, we've missed it again. On the other end of it all, we've become distracted again. What the enemy wants to do, no matter what side of anything you land, is he wants you to take your eyes off Yeshua. And at the end of it all, it's those who keep their eyes on Yeshua that will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we navigate this season? This is a season in some houses that are plagued with hatred and infighting and destructions. This is a time for God's people to bear good fruit. This is a time for you, even if you are in disagreement with family members, to ensure that you bear good fruit in front of them, that you love them. Because remember that Yeshua went to a cross for people who put him on the cross. So if someone has a disagreement with you over something that they're still learning, and an area that they're still learning and things that they're still learning because we're all still learning and we all make mistakes. It's good for uh, it would be good for us to have mercy and patience so that they can come to the knowledge of the truth, because if we just go to them, call them pagans, we just go to them, point a finger at how they're going to go to hell and how this and that accusation and judgment of matters that we ought not to judge on. How will you ever be able to win them over to the truth? You will only allow them to dig in their heels further in where they stand on things. But if you come in compassion and love to them and share to them, just share. I I would I would really suggest just go to them from the beginning and share the feast that you keep, share what you do. And there are seven of them and they're way more meaningful. And if you really are are, or have equipped yourself to be able to communicate why those feasts point to Yeshua, so you can have an answer for the hope that's within you, you will certainly convict their hearts and cause their hearts to come to jealousy, to want to do what you are doing, to experience God the way that you're experiencing Him. Because, of course, when we do what is biblical, will we not experience His presence in greater ways? And uh, I guess I could also add that we are in a season during the season of Christmas where it's a unique time where the world, no matter what your perception is on it, the world is more open to the idea of Jesus. Their hearts are more open to the gospel. Let's just be real here for a moment that even in the secular stores, you hear music that that or worship music. You hear things and you have people's hearts more attentive to the season. It becomes a little bit more acceptable than usual to actually talk about Christ. And that is something that we need to take advantage of. We need just. Like people. Are doing already. We need to be a If if you shut yourself and you put your head under a basket and you say this is a scary time. This is a dark time where paganism abounds. You don't have a light because see a light does not see darkness. Let me say it like this. A light is not terrified by the darkness because wherever the light is, the darkness is expelled. You put a light anywhere and there is no darkness there. So if you're terrified by the darkness, I have to ask you, where's your light? Do you have one? Or if you put it under a basket, just like Yeshua said, you should not do. This is a time where we have to reach out and be a light to people, just like we have to be the rest of the year. But God forbid we say, oh, no, this is a terrible time. I am now not going to be a light. We missed the point completely. So while we uphold truth, we stand for truth, we don't compromise our light because the world is, may do things that we don't like. Isn't our light supposed to shine all the brighter when we are in the midst of darkness or in the midst of things that we don't agree with? Yes, it is. So. I, I want to encourage you to pray about some of the things I said and. Seek the Lord on this matter, I know that this is this is a lot to think about how will we conduct ourselves in this season what will we do but perhaps this is a time as God is pouring out his holy Spirit in greater greater measures than ever before that we take a a look a fresh look at everything because see in the beginning when truth is shown to you right sometimes, Those who have taught us these truths did not teach us how to handle that truth. And we have. Caused destruction to come into our families. We have. Caused gossip and hatred to enter our hearts. We have stifled the Holy Spirit to work in us because we have hid our lamp under a basket. We have actually made it all worse because of our bad fruit because if someone is doing something that is not right in your eyes and you do not show good fruit in addressing that then you're just going to do more damage more harm than good and god is saying it's time to to turn that around. It's time to actually show good fruit. If I have entrusted you with the truth, have I not entrusted it to you for a time like this for you to accompany that truth with good fruit? How can you have the truth, but your fruit is rotten? How what will that truth mean when you stand before God? Hey, God, I had all the truth, I had all the knowledge. And he's going to ask, well, how did you handle that truth? How did you handle that knowledge? What did you do with that? Did you love my people so that they can see the truth, too? Or did you just shove it into their face as a means of exalting yourself? Did you shove it in their face and, and, and start debates and arguments on Facebook simply for the sake of proving how much more holy and spiritual or right your theology is? What is your motive or have you gone? in a humble, meek, kind, patient spirit, shared his feasts and then allowing their eyes to be open to his feasts and the authenticity of them. That's how we turn the world's hearts away from the counterfeits and towards the authentic. Want to head to the chat now, thank you guys so much for joining me here today. I want to just look at any questions you guys might have or anything you've been sharing with us. Um, uh, Karen says it was a wake up. I'm going to just, sh- uh, put the chat up here for you all to see. Uh, uh, today I'm having, um, I'm pushing the wrong buttons. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to read, uh, forgiven, forgiven says blessings, everyone. Um, uh, awesome celebrate his sacrifice and resurrection. Inquisivity says, amen. Okay. Amen. Uh, Inquisivity says December 25th was an easy transition for the Romans when they turned to Christianity from Mithra. This is also why churches on Sunday, not the Sabbath. Uh, Shalom, and sisters. I hope this is blessing you guys. Thank you for joining me. I'm just reading a few of your comments, catching up here with you. Uh, Karen said your steadfastness and your joy during his feast is far better witnessed than being condemning and cutting people out of your life. That is a good word. That is a good word. Good word. Um, Miss L.M.T. says hi, PD. beautiful study. Thank you. What do you say to those who wish you a Merry Christmas. I don't know if you're comfortable saying saying thank you. You too. I don't want to be rude, but stay true to my convictions. Well, okay. I mean, look, here's the thing is when someone is saying Merry Christmas, right? What they're doing is they are, they are wishing you well. Okay. That's their perspective. Now, what you say to that, I wouldn't personally Right? personally. I, I don't say Merry Christmas back. But I understand that they are trying to be kind. They're trying to give me a a a greeting of peace. Right. This is the heart behind that saying. And so, yes, I do say thank you because I'm saying thank you to what they mean by that. Um, In terms of. Addressing Christmas with those people who are now saying Merry Christmas, that's going to depend on the situation. It's not always possible. Uh, you know, so if you have a relationship with that person, if you have the ability to to speak with that person, if you have the ability to to have a deeper conversation with that person or even to just have the beginning of a relationship begin there with that person, that's what I would do in hopes to be able to communicate things further. Because, look, man, telling someone look, if someone said to me, Merry Christmas, and I said, hey, you know, that's pagan. Then tell me that. That is not helping anyone that is not helping the person because what they are seeing, what they're witnessing is, look, I try to just say, have a good time, have a good season, have a good month, have a good day, whatever. And what you did to me is you rejected my greeting. You rejected my peace that I am hoping to share with you, my 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 uh, kindness. I'm hoping to share with you and you're telling me I'm busy with paganism. You see, so that's what they how what they're hearing. And that's not going to accomplish anything that is good. That is not going to bring them to the truth. That's not going to make them think that you're you have love in you. So we have to be more wise with what we have, right? We have to be wise with the with what people are doing and what their where their hearts are. Now, look if they were, if they were pagans celebrating a pagan god Baal, right, and their hearts are actually not to celebrate Yeshua because a lot of people are. Then we approach that differently, but we have to take in consideration the motive of the person who's coming to us. So, hey, man, you know, you need to I would share the gospel with someone if I can, who's who I'm in a fleeting um, conversation with right? I would try. I would hope to try and pray for them, be a witness for them in some way. And then hopefully I can start some relationship with them, give them my number. I can chat, we can maybe start a little bit of a discipleship relationship, friendship. And then down the line, when they have seen my love for them, when they have seen my compassion, my fruit, that is good. Now we have a uh, an understanding because remember, listen to this. Yeshua never really shared deep truths or hard truths with people before sharing his love and making his love clear. Remember, when he shared hard words with people, he was healing someone first. When he shared a hard word word with that Samaritan woman, he showed her a miracle first. He showed her who he was. And by speaking a word of knowledge into her life, she was like, oh, you're a prophet. And he shared these hard words like you've been with many men, haven't you? Right. That's what he basically said. And but see, you can't just say, uh, uh, condemn people or make them feel condemned or make them feel rejected without demonstrating your great love for them first. So that's what I would say to that. I hope that that uh, helps answer the question. Uh, Karen said, I say, enjoy your holiday. Look, this is a holiday time for many people, a time where people are off work, time with family. That's what many people think of. And there's nothing wrong with wishing people a a good time uh, in those situations. All right. So, hey, guys, I hope that this has blessed you. Um, I want to pray for us all regarding this and the season. Lord, I pray for you would be with us in this time and season. Help us, Lord, to be a light. Help us to be a witness, Father. Help us to to shine your light to the world. And Father, I pray, Lord, you would help us as we look forward to the next biblical feast of Passover, Lord, that you would help us in this time to be a light even in this time, Lord, and help us to even be a, 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 a vessel of good fruit, a vessel of your mercies and grace and love. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would open doors for us to share your truth, to share the truth of what actually is the truth of of your feasts. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to look to you and how to do so. And I pray your Holy Spirit would help us to do so. I pray your Holy Spirit would come and help us to be empowered from on high, to be a witness to people around us. We pray all this in the name Yeshua. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, I want to just say a special thank you to everyone who's joined me live here today. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in the next video. Subscribe to this channel for more videos like this. I encourage you to go check out all of the many videos we have on the biblical feast days. We have teachings on all of them for to learn more all about them. May God bless you. Shalom.